From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me from Canada again today, Ramsey Russell. Rocky, how are you, sir? Man, I am doing great. You know, Ramsey, you and I had a conversation on your way to on this trek across the United States, through Canada, back through the the U.S., I brought it up to you. Something that hit me a couple of weeks ago. The one great thing about who you are that makes... The thing about... Let me say this first. The thing that I want people to understand, what makes a great guide is not the guy that always kills the most birds. It's That's a huge part of it. But what makes a great guide is the guy that can uh, still be friends after a bad day's hunt. Do you agree with that, mm-hmm. Ramsey? Oh, with yeah. Yeah, I do. I sure do. And, and how you do that, you gotta be, you've got to be able to talk to clients. You've got to have great conversations. So I say all that to say this. So Ramsey's on his trek. I said, Ramsey, you're going by all these awesome places and talking to these great people and having these conversations, which what which is what makes Ramsey who he is. I said, stick a recorder out and record it. When you go in to, to see Brandon at, at Boss MO, or when you go in you're hunting with Corey Leffler up in up in Minnesota, in Michigan. When when you're sitting down with Matt Shower on the front porch at the lodge, record these conversations. I said because I spend a ton of time on the phone with you, and it's if we could record the stuff that we talk about pre-podcast, just the conversations that you and I have. You're talking about podcast-worthy. I said that if you're doing the same thing with these people, record it. It'll be awesome. It'll be the final piece in your puzzle as world traveler of, of Get Ducks. Ran- well, you know, Rocky, said, well, I, I, I see you the moment. I see, I see you the moment. Because, well, uh, you said, I, let, I me, perfect, let me but... think about it. <laughs> let, let me, you said, let me think on it a couple of days. And you actually, you actually called me back within about, I guess about eighteen hours. You see, man, this yeah, this 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 will work. 
I think that as long as I'm, you know, kind of control it, it's going to work. I said, yes, it will. It's going to be huge. So that's where we stand today. We're at that first episode. Uh, kind of a conversation with Ramsey Russell is what we're going to call it. Well, I'm going to tell you this, Rocky. Uh, I, I did think about it. And, you know, I, it's always like that, that, uh, that little that little meme uh, that you see floating around the internet is like it's a picture of you doing something you know, and it's what your mama thinks you're doing, what your wife thinks you're doing, what your buddies think you're doing, what your boss thinks you're doing, and what you're really doing. You know, and I, and I, I I get an inkling of what people think I'm doing because you know posting up a bunch of dead stuff all the time, but it, but it is really more than that. You know, when I'm up here hunting with, uh, I know a lot of I know a lot of great hunters. Uh, not all of them are commercial. A lot of them are friends. A lot of them are in industry. A lot of them are, you know, whatever. We're all just hunters, and and I get to I get to see them. You know, we really don't talk about a lot of uh, when I'm up here with Matt. We don't we really don't talk about a lot of ton of business like like what you might read on the web page if you're considering buying a a Canada hunt. You know, uh, we just talk like hunters do. We talk about things that hunters do, and 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 to me, it's always been learning experience because the world is a lot bigger than our backyard it's, it's way bigger than our backyard uh today's podcast talking to cory loffler you know uh a fascinating guy now and i'll tell you this, and i'll probably mention it in the podcast but back in the um I, I was born and raised in greenville mississippi on the banks of lake ferguson and, and decades preceding my birth uh, my grandfather and his associates had a goose camp, they called it. And it was just a collection of grown men, five or six of them, that would get in a boat or travel and would go down river from Greenville and dig into a sandbar for two weeks each year. And uh, they tent camped, they cooked. And, and I've even got uh, one of my prized possessions is, is some of their uh, their budget items and little mimeograph meeting notes and stuff they took. But they would camp for two weeks to hunt migrator Canada geese. And my grandfather wasn't a prolific photographer. He didn't have an iPhone in his pocket. He just took a few pictures and printed them and put them in. And it's funny how the whole sum of his hunting life is pretty much boiled down to one thin magnetic page photo album. And one of those pictures is him holding some Canada geese in Cairo, Illinois, because back by the, by the 70s, they were going up to Cairo, Illinois to shoot geese. Since then, the birds don't even migrate as far south as Cairo, Illinois. And, you know, now, I know guys back home shoot Canada geese. I, man, my buddy Big Water, Tadpole, and one of them boys calls and says, they got a Canada goose hunt, I'm in, because it, it'll, it'll be a good field. But, you know, normally it's 150 resident birds coming off a country club or something into an ag field, and one volley, you're done. We all kind of sort of call, but not really. Rocky, when, when, you, when, you, when you go back up north now, Somewhere between the 50s and the 70s, when my grandfather was hunting on them sandbars to go into Cairo, Illinois, to where the birds don't even come to Cairo, Illinois, you know, the South lost a lot, in my opinion, of Canada goose hunting culture. I mean, it's really not, it's really not a, uh, it's really not a big thing in the South anymore. You know, uh, and, and one of the things that actually compelled me to come to Canada was, was a want to hunt migrator Canada's. Well, you know, from about New York, actually on the eastern seaboard, if you go all the way out to, to Maryland, from Maryland to Montana up on the northern tier, 
uh, the big Canada goose. I'm talking about the giants. They're, they're still, it's still a viable culture up here. And when you start getting around Minnesota, uh, Michigan, New York, my, North Dakota, buddy, it's, it's hardcore. You meet young people up here, 15 years old, that don't care anything about ducks. They are all in on big Canada geese. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to go to Minnesota, and hunt with Corey Loeffler, you know, uh, who, who's a, a renowned Canada goose call maker, uh, born and raised, uh, hunt with him and his daddy, uh, born and raised hunting Canada geese since, since a young man. Uh, it, it is, it is pretty darn incredible. You know, it, it, it's just, it, you know, uh, i tell you, i tell you something funny you can relate to. Um, somebody in Michigan or Minnesota one, we were out there eating breakfast and they said, I just can't believe you're here. You could, you could, you hunt all over the world and you're here. I'm like, man, to, to come up to Minnesota or Michigan, somewhere like that, and and hunt real Canada geese. That's uh, that's like going to a foreign country because it's it's so foreign to us in Mississippi to 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 hunt. And and what Corey and I really really talked a lot about how you hunt them, what, how, you know, yada, yada. But really the, the big thing, the big takeaway message is, you know, a lot of these birds that are in the northern tier do not migrate further south. Uh, they, they don't, they may never have, there's they're a the theory, they may never have this, this particular population, their genetic code, because of how they originated, may never have even gone. They may not have been the ones my grandfather hunted. Um we all time say hunting is conservation. The Canada goose, the big Canada geese, are, are one of the success stories. They were, they were, believe it or not, somewhere along in the fifties, they were thought to be extinct in the United States of America. They are, are, and uh, and we talk about that. And we talk about the origins of the birds that can roughly be described as, as, as the northern tier birds now. Where, where they originated from and, and what their historic migratory pattern was. And, and, uh, and then you've got this whole phenomena. Uh, I was, I was posting, uh, in our, in our Instagram account, I was posting a lot about, you know, using terms like moat migrator. And meanwhile, my inbox is, is blowing up. You know, what is a moat migrator? And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting, uh, Canada goose phenomena. And, and, uh, and it's very important. I mean, you know, down the deep south, we, we want those cold fronts that'll push the greenheads down. Well, man, these guys up here, especially this time of year in September, they're all about those moat migrators. And uh, so anyway, it, it's a really, really interesting conversation about real hey, let me, Canada goose hunting let, and Canada goose hunting culture. Let me give you two facts about Corey. So Corey and I um, go back a few years. Two two really cool facts about Corey. One not so cool as the other one. But Corey was one of the first, I don't want to call it pro or pro staff or uh, ambassador or whatever, whatever those words are. But Corey was one of the first guys that Sitka chose to get their pattern out to. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, we were we were hunting together in fourteen. We were filming a TV show for for Drake Migration Nation. We were up in South Dakota. Corey drove over in Medicine, South Dakota, and 
I remember all of us are laid out in these blinds, and they put Corey on the very end. And all of us are laid out in these blinds with Drake on, and there's Corey sitting on the far end with his Sitka. And anyway, I remember thinking to myself at the time, that is the oddest, wildest, craziest-looking camo I've ever seen. It'll never work. It looked like it was generated off a computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we see how that turned out. But anyway, hey, look at it now, Corey, yeah. Well, that's just like you know, take a step further. I was dumb as a brick when I was 21 years old, and I remember listening to a bunch of kids talk about computers, and I thought they were a fad. But go ahead. <laughs> so the second day that we were hunting together, Corey and I are not – neither one of us are very patient. Neither one of us are very patient at all. The ducks and geese were – were landing. This is this is. I'm dead serious when I say this. They were landing right behind the combine as it was cutting corn. I mean, this combine was cutting corn in 18 inches of snow. And Corey and I decided to get up and go to where that combine was cutting. Crawl through the the, the standing stalks. We were on the open field. There were stalks, you know, standing corn in between us and the guy over there cutting. Corey and I decided to climb to to go over there. Well, I was over there, and there were just ducks everywhere. And a couple of shots, I had killed my six. Well, Corey has this big idea. Before I shoot my ducks, he has a photographer with him. And you go to his page and look at this. Because I'm sitting 100, probably 100 yards away as this happens. Because this for this one specific photo becomes national note. So I'm sitting there, Corey's crawling through the corn. You know, those guys up there are all about geese, all oh, about yeah. geese. They could care geese. less about a stupid duck. So Corey climbed, you know, we, we see snow geese like crazy, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, Delta. We don't think anything about them. They, to me, they kind of ruin duck hunts. Man, Corey is fired up about all these snow geese. He crawls through that seriously. 16 to 18 inches of snow on his hands and knees up to these snow geese. Go to his page and look at this photo. Corey jumps up backwards. He's facing his photographer with the geese in the background. And these geese jump up behind him. And he's got his arms spread out, kind of like a Rocky pose from from, uh, the movie. It's a cool photo. And that photo got used by a bunch of people. Uh, I think magazines, it, it was it was well known back in 2014-15, that photo was. And I, I remember thinking that I was there kind of to be a part of that or 100 yards away as it was happening. Corey is an awesome guy. Awesome, awesome guy that I knows agree. a lot about yeah. waterfowl. Yeah. And like you alluded and, and to earlier, you know, he does sit still. He's not patient. Well, I, I, I knew Corey. I've uh, seen him around social media. we got a lot of friends. Uh, got to know him up at Game Fair in Minnesota. Met him and, and talked to him a little bit. You know, but spending a few days at Corey's house, you know, there, there's there's talkers and doers in life. And Corey is a doer. He oh, is a man. doer. He, he is a, he is a, a, a uh, you know, he, he's a, an accomplished call maker. He is a, a father. He is a gardener. Man, they have got the largest 
garden uh, I've ever seen. And I mean everything that you can buy at the grocery stores inside there. He's a heck of a hunter. He's a heck of a chef. He's a heck of a cook. Um, just, just a very, very interesting and high-energy guy um, that, that just uh, is out there conquering. You know, he, he, he's uh, – and and a lot of the people, you know, we talk about in podcasts. A lot of names besides Sitka that you recognize in a modern industry. You know, Corey Corey's had dealings with and been involved with. Yeah. A very very interesting guy. But anyway, we had a great yeah. time and uh, and 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 a great hunt. And I think I think um, I think everybody will really enjoy hearing. Uh, it's going to be talking. He's to a great real listener good too. Hunters. Oh, he's a good listener. You know, Ram- sure. You know, Ram- Ramsey and I, one thing that we've always said, you, if you want to take away one thing from these, any of these podcasts, be like Ramsey or Corey. Be a good listener and hang out with people smarter than you or mm. equally as smart as, but, and has great success. Get back and listen to them. Don't say a word. And I, I think that's one key element to success in life. Is hanging out people with people smarter than you, and just listening to what they say. That's one of the things that I noticed about about Corey, in in my time with him, uh, when I when I hunted with him years ago. He's he's he he never stops learning. He's always listening and learning. But anyway, I know what's coming. I've listened to it. It is a great conversation that Ramsey has with Corey. It's really, really good. Any insight to it, though, Ramsey? Any, any more before we go to the, to the episode? Nope. Nope. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to steal Corey's thunder. And I, I think it, 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 I had a real good time talking to him and I learned a lot, you know, and the, because the world's a lot bigger than my backyard and, and because the world of waterfowling is just so diverse and huge with the species and cultures and, and local nuances, you know, I've just found that, that, meet with people like Corey and, and all the people, all the outfitters and, and, and hunters and everything else that that my my odyssey brings me and uh, my life travels bring me in contact with, you know, that if, that I really do. I'm, I'm constantly still learning things I never knew. And 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 the story of the Canada goose and the moat migrators is, is is fascinating. It really is. Well before we jump off into that story, don't forget order your toe tags you can order those at ducksouth.myshopify.com everybody's using them don't be the last one to get your hands on some tag these birds it needs to be done it's the law and i think ryan's got a great product ryan has really put out a product that will make you legal with all parts of the federal law. Ramsey, let's get to that conversation with Corey now. I'm Ramsey Russell. It's duck season somewhere. It is early September, and I am in north-central Minnesota with my buddy Corey Loffler. We're at the DRC Call Company, and I'm up here Canada goose hunting, which, hey, back home, we shoot some Canada geese, Corey, but nothing like you guys do. Nothing at all like you do. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Great to have you here. We're having some fun. We're in the middle of our hunt right now, and I was super pumped to have you stop through on your travels up north to Matt and Jen's place in Saskatchewan, and then uh, wherever the rest of your migration is going to take you. 
But, uh, no, we're having some fun. We're just doing it. My migration is going to take me all over the place, man. I, I started off in uh, Michigan, met with Boss Ammode, and met with a buddy, Connor Goff. And uh, here I stopped over and saw you. And uh, yesterday was a huge blast. Now I'm going to Saskatchewan, Alberta, back to Saskatchewan, North Dakota. Who knows? I'm not going to come banging on your door in a few uh, weeks and need a place to crash as good as you cook. Hey, man, when you're on your way through, what are we going to eat? Uh, we'll eat some goose, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll eat some goose. You've one, one thing I've learned the last couple of days being here is these people that say they don't like Canada goose are doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, we, we yeah. had some, we had a great couple of meals with, with uh, some of these geese you're cooking, but you ought to be a pro at it. You shoot enough of them in a year. I've wrecked a couple. I know that. I mean, I'm not perfect for sure, but uh, I try to learn from my mistakes. And, well, I've got a couple of tricks up my sleeve, I think. You do. You know, I uh, I got an inbox on Instagram the other day from one of our followers, and he said, man, I can't believe you hunt waterfowl worldwide, and you're right here in my backyard chasing <laughs> moat migrators. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, and I replied to him. I'm like, why wouldn't I? Because you know, what are to, you doing in Minnesota? Coming to Minnesota is like going to a whole other country if you're from Mississippi. Uh, yeah, y'all talk funny for starts. Well, what the heck? No, you, you know. talk funny. <laughs> well, the ladies, the ladies, oh yeah, you betcha. Yeah, the ladies, the liquor store didn't understand what I was ordering today, but <laughs> but other than that, it's uh. We had a, uh, you know, seriously, you got hockey, you got oh, sports yeah. like curling. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got, uh, y'all eat some pretty cool food up here. It's flat. You know, people people that have never been to Minnesota, what I describe this country looking like, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It looks like a scene from Little House on the Prairie because this is Prairie, Minnesota. You got it. it this is Sioux Indian, Buffalo country, very, very productive ag fields of wheat and sunflowers and barley and peas and, and all kinds of legumes that the birds would eat. It, it's very, very flat yet rolling. Uh, it's an incredibly uh, productive country. But one thing that you really, truly have that we don't have back in Mississippi is a profound goose hunting culture yeah absolutely Pe- people back home duck hunt we might shoot some snows we might shoot some specks we-, we certainly go out i had a buddy named big water uh always called me this time of year and always had a great resident canada goose hunt you know in other words 150 birds coming off the local golf course or country club to hit a cornfield it all come at one time we didn't know what we were doing so we'd get some volleys but but it's nothing like what i experienced when i come to this part of the world and a break break Back in the day, back in the 50s, one of my most prized possessions uh, from my family is I've got a little dossier, a little some papers that my grandfather and his associates called Goose Camp. Greenville, Mississippi, the banks of Lake Ferguson, they would launch a boat, a pretty big fishing boat, and go down to a sandbar in the Mississippi River back in the 50s and dig in for two weeks, tent camp and... Uh, Hunt migrator Canada geese, and by the and it was pretty cool looking at the budget. Some of the stuff I remember was a, a bottle of whiskey, five pounds of butter, rice, beans. That's cool. You know all this, this their budget. You know they put together and it cost yeah. them you know ten dollars a piece for all the food you could eat and That's a lot a of lot. cool stuff to, for for goose camp back then. But by the seventies, he was going up to Cairo, Illinois to shoot migrator Canada geese, mm-hmm. and now. Those birds aren't really coming down there anymore. No. So if, if a guy, you know, I, I feel like anybody in the deep south, we've shot some Canada geese at times, but the resident birds, we've really lost a lot of our goose hunting culture. Mm-hmm. 
And for me personally, Corey, to see these big B-52 bow up when they finally get downwind and decide to come into those decoys, mm-hmm. it makes my heart beat through my sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, every flock does that same thing to me. Oh, man, I love it. It doesn't get old. It really doesn't get old. And to throw it out to all my Minnesota buddies out there, um, you know, Ramsey's talking about this culture that we've got. And other guys in other parts of the country don't really see it. Man, we shoot just about twice as many Canada geese as the next highest state. And sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's Texas, sometimes it's California. If you take a look at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's uh, projected uh, or the the past harvest, you know, data that they've got, but we shoot a lot of Canada geese up here. And what happened back in the 50s they thought that bird was extinct well they found a couple you know in the late 50s um like around 62 breeding pairs of them or so they captured that many and and they bred them in captivity for a while so i'm wondering if that genetic didn't completely get changed and it just didn't completely they just quit migrating they caught the the 62 pairs that were lazy and they were running from about winnipeg to rochester Rochester, Minnesota. Oh yeah, Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah, excuse me. And uh, and they didn't they didn't feel the need to run any further than that down to Illinois, down to Mississippi, and yeah, Winnipeg to Rochester. And then they they cap you know they captivated those. um, They bred them, and basically that's the genetic that we have now. From oh man, North Dakota, all the way. I mean, even Montana, all the way up to New York. Is that that greater Canada goose, that giant Canada goose? That's pretty interesting because I've I've seen I've seen where under the uh, you know hunting is conservation propaganda that the Canada goose like the pronghorn uh, like a, a, the Rocky Mountain elk like bison like a lot of the species the Canada goose is listed as one one of a and one time endangered species mm-hmm. now, and I think they're talking about the big Canada's like we're hunting here the B fifty twos. And uh, and it had been brought back from the brink of extinction, but it wasn't until the other day we were talking that you started telling me about this Rochester, Minnesota population that mm-hmm. was captured. And, and, you know, it made me start thinking that back in the 50s, when the big migrator Canada started drying up on the Mississippi River south of Lake Ferguson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. what about that time? Yeah. And so it could have been that population of geese because, you know, the headwaters of the Mississippi River is just right down the road here, yeah, 50, 60 it. miles. Yep. Then they quit migrating. So now, but really, those birds that they took, they placed where? They, uh, basically, from New York to Montana, all yeah. this resident goose population. Yeah, is- absolutely. They would breed them, and they would raise them up, and then they would relocate all the chicks. And uh, I suppose mix and match some of the families to, you know, uh, mix in a little bit of a well, new genetic. You can, about best- 150 birds mix yeah. and match. Yeah, right. And then uh, distribute them out from there, and they've they've gone wild with it. I mean, they're they're a surviving critter. They'll take nest in someone's flower garden in the in the in their front yard. They'll take nest. They'll beat the heck out of a a little, you know, fluffy floor duster dog or something like that that someone's walking on the leash in town, and they'll take up nest and uh, raise a litter, raise a brood. Anywhere, I mean, if all genet- over the place. If genetically, way back when, we're talking about uh, big Canada goose species that are 
migrated from parts of Manitoba to Rochester, Minnesota historically, and overwintered in these brutal, by southern standards, winters y'all have up here, it makes perfect <laughs> sense they no longer migrate south. Yeah. But it's my understanding that, that some of the, that same population, as they began to uh, grow in number, uh, a lot of locals in Mississippi or farmers or the state politicians began to swap wildlife resources. And actually, yep. I, I believe that, that a lot of our resident birds down in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee originated from there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and they don't migrate either. They just camp yeah. out, man. Right. They make a living. and Right. Well, what we're going on, what we've got going on right now is this big molt migration. Well, I've been hearing been that ever, ever that. since I've been here. Everybody's yeah. saying, oh, man, you're hitting the molt migration just, just right. But we're now, doing it. At a southerner, that, that didn't know much about moat migration. I had to do a little research. What I realized is non-breeding Canada geese, not the birds that are sitting on the nest in the spring and producing offspring, but the ones that aren't, whether they're young or old, they actually fly up north just to molt. Yep. And then they come back and join the breeding population yep. about this time of year. Predominantly, those are one- and two-year-old birds because they are sexually immature. And you're you're going to get eight or ten or 12-year-old birds mixed in there, too. Why? I'm not 100% sure. Maybe they lost a mate. Maybe they they are non-breeders. I'm not positive there, but predominantly, your one- and two-year-old birds, are, is that's going to be your molt migrators. And it's like, they fly up into Canada, and it's a single resort up there. I mean, they're going to go up there. There's hardly any predators, nothing that they are real scared of. You know, the Arctic fox, he's not a big deal. He's just a little whippersnapper. He's looking for some some uh, snow goose eggs or something like that. He's no not, match for a 10 to 12-pound no, <laughs> no, No, so they're going to go lose their feathers up there. And what they're doing is they're turning around, and they're on their leisurely way back south to meet up, basically, with with mom and dad and their new brothers and sisters. Is I get you. what it really is. And these birds coming through this area, here in my backyard, um, we are northwestern Minnesota, just to the east of us. you got... You guys over in Bemidji, and that's the start of the forest, and that forest is going to run, heck, all the way over into Michigan. Um, so you've got this big pinch point or this big funnel. Uh, everything to the west of me, obviously, is, is just all agriculture in North Dakota, Montana. And so there's this big funnel here that I'm kind of right on the seam of, and we're getting a lot of molt migration coming through here for all these big birds heading over to Chicago, heading to Iowa, Wisconsin. Uh, we'll shoot bands from Ms. Missouri. Iowa? I, yeah, Iowa. Yours, Iowa, yesterday. And uh, um, Oklahoma, I've seen. Kansas, uh, Illinois. Um, yeah, I mean, that's predominantly where we're going to shoot most of our our banded Canada geese from, and they're probably going to be either banded last year as a juvenile or two years ago as a juvenile. Yours, not the case. Yours was banded 2011 yeah. as an adult. Right here in this part of Minnesota, what makes the hunting for these big Canada geese so good, y'all have got a resident population, mm-hmm. and you've also got these moat migrators starting to come in this time of year. And today, at, while we were out scouting, we saw a dozen or more real high flocks mm-hmm. that you said they're, they're, it, 
it, your sense of direction up here is very easy to find because all the roads are laid out north, south, east, west. <laughs> one mile so, so you apart. You always know where you one mile <laughs> apart. So you always know which way you're looking. And uh, but we saw a lot of lot of flocks of high flying Canada geese, twenties and forties, coming from the north, heading south. Those mm-hmm. are boat migrators. Yep, new birds coming in. Pretty confused. You, you showed me a map yesterday. This map right here on the computer screen about uh, why. What makes this area fun? The the big woods that come come from here all the way up into the UP. Mm-hmm. Well, we're right on the edge of the west side of those, those that forest cover. Yep. And these birds are coming down. What what like I couldn't believe. Uh, where are these birds going to do all this moat migrating? Just hop across the border to Manitoba. Where are they going? I from what I understand, it's it's all the way up. It's north of the boreal forest. Hudson I mean, Bay. It's Hudson Bay. I mean, it's Churchill. You know, wow. It's, it's the tundra. Yeah. Um, where they don't have to worry about any timber wolves or coyotes chasing them down when they can't fly. It's, uh, it's just the Arctic fox up there, that little, that little old Arctic fox, and they don't have to worry about them too much. So. And so, so these moat migrators, all of them, from all parts of the world, you know, from all parts of the Midwest, they're coming through, most of them are coming through this bottleneck. Yeah. The Minnesota birds, you're getting them because they're coming back home, but mm-hmm. then you're getting the birds that are going to all these other different places too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any whitetail hunter is going to understand it. It's a funnel. I mean, that's that's what it is. Right. It's just a natural funnel. Well, you know? looking, at the, looking at the Google Earth map, I can see the funnel clear as yeah, day. Yeah, there it is. You bet. You know, I, what I've noticed about duck hunting back home, we go out to our camp, we go out to our field, we go out to our pit blind, we go out to where we hunt. Maybe we get on public land and ride around and we see ducks, but... It's a whole nother game up here, at Canada Goose Hunt. Man, we covered a few miles a day. We did, yeah. You know, we we looked at uh we looked at some local flocks you you knew kinda he kept up with. We looked at some areas you historically knew, picked up moat migrators or migratory birds. We were saddled in by we were saddled in uh because of agriculture being cut on where those birds would key in on. Write me a love letter over here, you know. But but the whole game of goose hunting is way way different, way way different than uh than duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Just for for guys down south, for some of these guys that may be listening that aren't a part of y'all's profound goose hunting culture. Because look, what what's your helper's name, Derek? Yeah, little you know, you, yeah. you know, fifteen years old. <laughs> yeah, calls a goose ten times better than anybody I know. <laughs> Down south, we go to wit. You know, it works or it doesn't. This guy sounds like a flock of Canada geese had flown into the to the flock. And, yeah. and as we were riding out of the field yesterday, I, I said, you know, we talking about the duck season because the youth openers opened uh, today. Yep. He's like, well, I really don't shoot many ducks. I said, what do you hunt? He goes. I like those big Canada. <laughs> he's a part. He's a part of a big goose hunting culture. He is. Just, just give a just to give a general rundown. I mean, how, how did you, how when, when did you get into it? What what is it? What is it that you like about Canada goose hunting versus duck hunting or the scouting, the the looking, the figuring out? I mean, just just give everybody a little synopsis on that. My introduction uh, back probably. 21, 22 years ago, uh, man, there just wasn't many ducks around here. It's just not a ducky area. It's a goosey area. This is a goose funnel that we've got going on through here. So there wasn't a whole lot of ducks around 
And, yeah, we'd shoot a couple here and there. We'd go out goose hunting. The goose limit was one back then. We'd go out and pass shoot our one goose. We didn't have any decoys. I didn't have any money for any decoys. So we'd just go pass shoot our one goose. And we can always make that goose taste good. And, man, we just didn't really like the flavor of them ducks. We weren't cooking them right yeah. at all. <laughs> we were cooking them the, right with the, the honker. and uh, Getting just, overdone or something. Yeah, way overdone. So, yeah, and now I love duck. But uh, back then, I didn't know how to prepare them, so I didn't chase them. That's, that's what it came down to. I, I don't know how to cook them. I don't, I don't want to take something's life if I don't know how to respect it. When did you start learning to really call geese? When did it hook you into the game, the language of goose calling, and when did you convert that into starting to call geese, or starting to make duck goose calls, I should say? Well, I mean, I'll reverse that just, uh, uh, like, about one year. I was told to leave my call at home, and it pissed me off. <laughs> I was pissed. Yeah. Um, I think Stu, Stu was doing the calling at the time. Stu's doing the calling, so just... Just leave your call back. It's like, God damn it, I'm going to practice. Next year, I'm going to be that son of a gun. I'm going to be the caller. I'm going to practice all summer. I don't care. How old were you? Oh, 14 probably. Okay. Yeah, 15 maybe. And uh, like, I, I was mad. And I mean, it built a fire under me. And I practiced and I practiced. And then the next year, I remember, I mean, that was like winning the world championship that I when I heard... Corey's going to be calling today. When I heard that, you know, they saying a 15-year-old kid's going to be calling for all these guys that are in their in their 40s. You know, they've been goose hunting for longer than I've been on the earth. And, uh, yeah, Corey's going to be calling today. And then I, it was like, you could have handed me a medal right there. I mean, they did, basically, verbally. And uh, um, it just kind of built a, fueled that fire and built a fire that, I mean, it hasn't quit, I don't think. No, no. I could see it in the blind yesterday. Your fire is far <laughs> from ashes, man. I mean, you're you're taking pictures, you're calling shots, you're cracking jokes, you're 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 seeing the geese, you're talking to the geese like they're an old girlfriend. Hey baby, come over here. You know, you're you are a party? anything but in the ashes of goose calling, the fire burns bright. You know, one thing I noticed yesterday, I I got here about noon, I guess noon or something like that, and uh we peeled around and and then we went goose hunting. And, you know, I've always really kind of thought maybe it's from going to Canada for so much where a lot of the provinces are goose hunting only in the morning and uh, or goose hunting back home or whatever. But I don't know. I'm just a little surprised because you had a feed scheduled. You'd found it. We went and we went and set, you know, we went and set up. But y'all don't hunt just mornings here. It's mornings or afternoons, whatever the geese are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the temperature right now allows the geese to feed twice a day they're on a morning and and evening feed depending on you know weather dependent but if it's a bright bluebird sunshiny day they're going to feed right away at sunrise and they're going to feed before sunset i mean that's just the way it's going to be so it's a two a day feed in maybe late october or into november they're going to switch to a one a day feed especially when some of the the uh, higher energy crops like corn and soybeans come down and they don't need as much protein and carbohydrates in their system they're gonna they're gonna bump up to just a one a day feed so they only have to come out of town once but uh, or off the refuge or wherever it is but um yeah we can hunt them in the morning hunt them in the evening 
and a lot like deer hunting morning yeah, and evening hunting, same thing yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. pattern them out yep so yesterday morning we we get here excuse me yesterday afternoon we get here we go out and we set up the Corey Loffler special blind which is uh <laughs> the most amazing blind i've ever been we pull it in the field it's it's a it's a long trailer it's brushed up perfectly very very comfortable nothing nobody can see anything i mean you know the, the birds can't look down and see you got this top over you're sitting in chairs it's all comfortable we throw out a bunch of decoys the, uh, what a very creative and innovative these guys don't know what we're got. talking about no and i've been asked literally have been asked what are you guys doing hauling all those cattails around <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it, it looks like a brush pile. It's like a little thicket behind your trailer, and, and you know, instead of one of these big white trailers wagging behind a truck, he got this thirty foot or twenty five foot duck blind on wheels, uh, full of decoys and full of a stove to cook hot eggs and, and bacon and hot coffee and Comfort City, man. It, it's unbelievable. And 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 we get in and we dig these little holes and the tires pull right off into them so now the whole base of the trailer is sitting on the ground you're perfectly stable you're lo- as low profile as possible and then you rock man uh, yesterday was a, a very very uh cool hunt though you it, just like you said the birds were coming off the lake beeline around that area and we had some flocks set up and it was a right i can remember at one point in time you're yelling down the blind welcome to minnesota goose hunting <laughs> and i was my i was just grinning ear to ear it's just what i come up here for you know in fact Corey, the first time i ever came to canada back in 98 i did not come to canada to shoot ducks i came up here to shoot geese mm. that's what i was after because mm-hmm. we just we don't have that back home man. Yeah. we don't have that kind of uh, canada goose hunting here uh how many geese did we even kill yesterday i don't know I don't either, but it don't matter, does it? Don't it? matter. We didn't shoot over. It wasn't a limit. quote limit. No, uh-uh. but, but I don't think anybody counted. No. I mean, we were under the limit. It was oh, just a right the way the birds finished. No, man, we had fun. No, I think just the man, the 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 guys, the the kids, the grinders that I see on on Instagram and social media today. It's just a numbers game. It's all numbers. We got to get. We got to get to fifty. We got to get to sixty. We got to get a limit. We got to get this. Oh, it's not a good hunt unless we get a limit and limit, limit, limit. And everything is just this numbers game, and it's like, oh, we better stack them up, bellies up, get this pile picture taken. We got to post these pile pictures. I mean, if you're not posting pile pictures, you're not killing. Like, man, save that for the birds. Bring some fun back into it. Let's no, have some right. fun. How many did we kill? I don't know. Do we have fun? Hell yeah, we had. <laughs> we had a great time. It, it was unbelievable, you know, watching those birds just get out there and circle around and get sorted, and then just come right. They in. did it right, and the shots called. Oh. Like we had that, we had that family cohort come in, and the guy way down the end, they, they come in kind of off my side, and there were I don't know six people in the blind. And by the time your buddy Brad right next to you stood up, every bird he threw up on was falling. <laughs> he didn't fire All of them just died. You know, that's that's what it's so much about. But, you know, it's like, it's like you got to have limits for conservation. Right. But now in the year 2019, it's like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, quote, limits have been somehow perverted into a finish line. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't know how many birds we shot. I'm gonna say I shot. I know I shot three geese yesterday. Yeah, that was plenty. Yeah, and three geese short of a limit or two geese short of a limit doesn't make or 
break my how I feel about myself. It was awesome to be with y'all and get get into this goose hunting stuff. And I just wish these young people could understand it's not about the finish line. It's not about the top of the mountain. It's about the sides. It's about getting there. It's about making those birds finish like you want them to finish. Mm-hmm. That's the sport. It's the game. It's their game, and you we bet. play it. Yeah. It's, it's not. A, it's not about a. a uh, uh, a federal government agency's contrived number. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you how know? many birds do you think were in range of our shotguns oh, yesterday? Yeah, yeah, way more than we shot at, Oof. for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if they didn't do it, we didn't shoot at them. That's right. That's, that's it. I mean, that's that's the truth of it right there. And, uh, you know, as long as we were within our legal boundaries, we are just having fun, and we had a great hunt, like not concerned about hitting this finish line, hitting this goal of we have to kill a limit and then we're going to have fun. Oh man, if the guys on the left could have shot, we would have had a limit and then we would have had a good hunt. If Oh, if everyone would have shot their lanes, then we could have had a good hunt. Oh no, that's all bullshit. I don't it's, remember my grandfather and, and the men that raised me into this sport of hunting, I don't remember them ever talking about numbers. No. And, and I don't. I don't, I don't know when... It, now, I know when I was younger, I wanted to get the limit. I was motivated. I wanted to shoot as many as I could. But now I'm just happy to, to go out and, and, oh, yeah, if the limit presents itself, it's game on. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, I just had a great time. Mm-hmm. I wonder when in history this all started. I mean, I wonder how we got from there to here. I see it, you know, back in kind of the early 2000s in that chat room, that forum type um and social stuff, media, that, that pre, social media even made it worse. Yeah, I mean, almost that pre-social media stuff back then. And uh, some, you know, the big pro-staffer push and the pro-staffers are ordered to to put this product or that product in their pictures and put these bellies up and this here with the fill flash and this in the background. And we're going to talk about this product and mention this one product in our post and why it made a difference and whatever. And they're instructed to do this. And honestly... That's when pro staffers kind of were a big deal back in the early 2000s. Now, uh, do do you need them? I don't know. I'm not going to bash a pro staff or anything like that. As far as I'm concerned with my call company, I don't do enough national shows to need a national pro staff, promotional staff to be at all these different shows. I just don't do it. It's not where I'm at. Uh, I don't feel the need. To, you don't need to be one. I, I think. I think that. I think that at the time, back in those days, you're talking about. Man, a pro staff was a good deal. That first mm-hmm. company that came up with it, that was a really cool deal. I was, was proud to be a part of it. it. I met pre- a lot of cool people. Pre Amazon. Yeah, pre Amazon. Oh yeah, you had pre, to go pre, to the pre show. Facebook, pre Instagram. Yeah, and now it, it's like I was listening to uh, Brandon Rocky over at Boss Ammo the other day. Explain. There are no staff. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have a pro staff. We're no, no staff. No staff. You know what yep. I'm saying? And, and that, that's, I think that's respectful. It's kind of how the pendulum is swung yep. nowadays. Absolutely, I'd agree. So we we uh we got up this morning, went out and scouted, and uh, knocked on a few doors. Which which is another thing, you know, <laughs> up in this part of the country, we're knocking on doors, and I just that is again, it's like I'm in a whole different country. Not just a different state in America, because back home, knocking on doors to go hunting is it's just unheard of. It's hey, tab- that one door, taboo. one door we knocked on, we invited him to come with, and his kid 
and his kids. And they're going to come out tomorrow. tomorrow. They'll be. They're going to walk out yeah. from their front door and come home with us. That, that, that's that's cool. so foreign, man. That just <laughs> to go good. knock on doors and talk to somebody and then give you permission to come shoot geese on yeah. their property. But man, that property we put to bed tonight was. I'm pretty excited about it. Eight hundred. I'd say eight hundred geese. Yeah, it was a good. It was. It was well. Well above five hundred. Definitely. So yeah, it's. Uh, it'll be fun. We'll have a good time. All right. Well, I've enjoyed it, Corey, and uh, I hope the listeners have, have learned something and gained something, and uh, I'm looking forward to it in the morning. I sure am. We'll post some pictures. Hey, speaking of pictures, y'all come check us out, Ramsey Russell, Get Ducks, and uh, follow along on this, this little trip we're doing right here. We post up our storylines daily. Thank y'all for listening. Well, Ramsey, now... It is post-hunt because, you know, when you recorded that, it was pre-hunt, but now it's post-hunt. How'd, y- how'd y'all end up doing on those geese? You know, Rocky, uh, when I hunt with folks, even, even with real capable guys like Corey, you know, it, it, uh, I find myself hunting with a lot of folks around the country. And and uh, and it's like they're worried. It's like they gotta. It's got to be special. It's got to be something. And I, I told, I told my buddy Connor Goff over in Michigan the other day. I said, I said, I said, look, Connor, this ain't this. This ain't gonna be my first hunt. Not gonna be my best hunt, and it's not gonna be my worst hunt. All I hope for is it's not my last hunt. You know, you just take it as it comes. Because, because Rocky, you know, we ain't shooting caged birds. Some days it's chicken salad and some days chicken shit, but it's all chicken. You know what I'm saying? You just you just go hunting. So Corey and I had found. We've been looking all day. It ain't like we just drove out and said, oh there they are. Uh-uh, no, oh no, we put we put some miles driving clicks. You know, uh, all them roads up there laid out every mile. Boom, boom, boom. You can literally give somebody description to your house by saying go two miles south and five miles west, and they can drive right to your house on those directions. And uh, but we 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 covered a lot of a lot of country, and found a few little flocks, and found a field we were kind of interested in. Somebody else was gonna hunt, and then we found a mother load, freaking a mile long stretch of these Canada geese, about eight hundred to nine hundred geese, in in uh, in a field that he he knew the farmer had permission to hunt. Um, there was a house nearby, and we noticed a blind. We went and knocked on the door, um, just to let them know we'd be out there hunting the next day. And um, the following day, the day we hunted was the youth opener, not for geese, but the youth duck season overlaps with uh, the Canada goose season. So we did. Corey knocked on the door, and we explained to the dad, "Dad, you know we're gonna be out there hunting tomorrow." And you know, Corey is just that guy. And got back in the truck and said, yeah, they're going to join us. So it's going to be a father and a son in the blind with us. And Corey has developed a massive uh, Taj Mahal blind that he can pull into these fields on a big, long trailer and lower hydraulically. They're all brushed in and walled up. It's kind of like being in a rolling pit blind, but it, but it's inconspicuous out in these fields. And so, honestly, uh, as good as a, a hunt or two we had had together, Leading up to this hunt was this was the one, and and it and you know it didn't it didn't help that uh that glass and those Canada geese out there walking around you could see you could see some of their legs shining with jewelry, those moat migrators. 
a lot of them are banded. When they get up there to Hudson Bay, they get they get banded. A bunch of them do. And uh, and we showed up, and everything was going perfectly as planned. The the location was good. The decoys were good. We had the, the neighbor in the blind with us. Uh, we're expecting a big show, and oh, I think shoot, I don't remember what time shooting time was exactly, but I know about an hour and a half after shooting time, Corey fired up his oven, his his, his griddle. Now, when I woke up that morning, walked upstairs to get coffee. Corey had already been awake, already had coffee, and was chopping onions and bell peppers and jalapenos and last night's goose and sausage and bacon and had had a dozen or more eggs ready to go and they they roll they roll first class. Corey, Corey, you know so at eight thirty when that griddle fired up, we hadn't fired a shot. Eight hundred geese didn't come back. Don't know where they went. The wind was blowing perfectly for them to come off the roost and, and, and head that way. The bird the birds that did come in um weren't the birds we were after. We were after the birds on, on the south end of the field. These birds were going to the north end of the field where there had also been birds. South end of the field birds didn't so believe it or not, the the best hatch plans. Um, burned the chicken shit instead of chicken salad, except for the fact we ate probably the best breakfast taco in the state of Minnesota right there in the blind. And we laughed, we cut up, we had a good time, we drank coffee, and we were we were goose hunters. So it, it did it didn't work as planned that time. But hey, that's why you go back the next time, you know. Ramsey, like I have been saying, I think this is going to be wildly popular. If it goes kind of how we sat down and kind of planned this out where you're just recording a conversation just like you're on the front porch with you and whoever it may be it's gonna be huge but ramsey i enjoyed it thank thank you for for getting Corey to sit down with you and and having this first conversation Uh, i think that like i said i think it's gonna be wildly popular but Ramsey, be careful in your travels. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you again, Corey, for sitting down with Ramsey and recording that episode. I want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.